beautiful attitudes. That poor girl looks like she's got bricks in her head. <laughs> got a, something's happened. Do you know who that is? That's Beck Ryburn. That's a pretty accurate description, I think, you know, of her. She is one of the most brilliant people I know. I don't mean about the bricks in her head. I mean just having mountains and dreams and everything like that. I'm afraid of her. Have you ever met Beck Ryburn? You need to be afraid of her. She's so full on when she talks to you. She's on fire. Alex, are you afraid of Beck Ryburn? Yeah, I've seen you lose color in your face. Your hair used to be black until you met her. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. God is good, the devil's bad, and we win. So people, my name is, for the visitors who are here, my name's Phil Pringle. I'm the senior pastor of this congregation and several others around the, around the city, and then um, lead a movement called C3, which has got a few churches around the world, and we're having a lot of fun growing flat out. I want to take you through this, uh, this series, and this is like the, the opener, and I, I, I doubt that I'm even going to get halfway through the introduction, but I'll give it a good shot. Uh, because it's uh, such such a, like an important matter to talk about uh, attitudes, and and the fact is, you are going to rise as high in life as your attitude. To be really corny, you'd say it like, "Your altitude depends on your attitude." That's corny, and uh, I just thought I'd say it for corn's sake, but it's true. The fact how high you're going to rise actually depends on how great your attitude is on the inside. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring all the issues of life. That word keep actually is like the word guard. And that means there are things that are going to attack your heart. And the things that attack your heart are bad attitudes. Uh, things like unthankfulness, like unbelief. Things that are like whining and complaining, things like criticism and hatefulness, all those kind of attitudes, if you allow them to take over your heart, you're going to find your whole world starts to go low, starts to go down. But when you put elevated attitudes in your heart, you're going to find your whole life gets elevated. Whatever fills your heart is going to affect your life. If Christ fills your heart, there's not going to be room for the world. If your wife fills your heart, there's not going to be any room for any other girl in there. If your husband fills your heart, you're not going to have room for any other idiot. You know, you'd, not that he's there. I mean, any other crazy guy coming in there as the Ashley Madison crowd have discovered, you know, that, that, that when, when you let others in your world, your circumstances suddenly are negatively affected really badly. Having a great spirit is definitely going to take you higher. Daniel 6.3, then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the entire realm. Oh, we didn't get the scriptures. Okay. They were? It was there. Can you throw it up again, please? Amen. There. Amen. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the ministers and etc. by his exceptional qualities. Well, in the, see, that's, that NI, is the NIV. That's the nearly imperfect version. <laughs> but it actually, it says spirit by his excellent spirit. There you go. See that? 
These guys are powerful down there, aren't they? It's like miracles. Because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the entire realm of his dominion. So here's the thing. Because he had an excellent spirit, a whole range of things happened. Number one, he, he was the chief counselor to the king for four kingdoms, Daniel. He was deported from Jerusalem when he was like five years old. Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem and took away all the finest young men, the best-looking young people. He got a hold of them and said, we will train them in Babylon. And that's exactly what they did. He was a foreigner in a strange land, Daniel. And for 70 years he was there after that. So when he was around 75, this is what was happening in his world. Anybody 75 yet? Well, there's great things ahead for you. Amen. You don't need to think that your life's over when you're 60. Isn't that right? Mick's not looking at, at me. He's, he's looking behind himself. Mick, life's not over when you turn 60, is it? Yeah. Not even 70 when, like, Mick has, you know, he's, he's really... How old are you? 54, no way. I was thinking you're like 25 or something. <laughs> Amazing. Listen to me. When, when he was 75, he was having visions and dreams and writing scripture. Your best years are ahead of you. Every single person in this room, your greatest life is out in front of you. And then he distinguished himself, it said, because of his great attitude because of his excellent spirit. The most graphic example I've had of this is about a couple years ago, Chris and I, we were on an airplane flying somewhere, and they'd put us in different seats. Like she was in one seat over here, and I was in one seat over here. And there was a woman in this seat, and I thought, well, I'll just ask the, the, the attendant if we could swap seats, you know, and have a chat. So I said, hey, is there any chance I can sit with my wife and ask that lady to sit over here? It's a pretty similar seat. It's not going to... So he... He went and said, lady, uh, is there a chance that you'd like to? No, I'm not changing seats. This is the seat I want. You can, whatever, blinkity blink, this is my seat. She was really, you know, determined to keep that seat. So uh, I said, oh, don't worry about it. No, let's not cause a fuss. We're good. You know, we'll make it. You know, we've been together 44 years. That's enough. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we're fine. But uh, so he went out and he came back about, Three minutes later, and he went over to Chris, and he said, uh, we've actually found a seat up the front for you. Uh, first class, baby. Uh, do you want to come? And she said, well, just let me pray while I pack. And uh, <laughs> so th they took her up the front, and, and she's up there. I thought, wow, go for it, baby. Of course, she said, do you want it, Phil? And I said, no, 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 no. That didn't happen. Anyway, she... Uh, <laughs> She <laughs> went up the front. Normally, she's a Christian. Uh, <laughs> but but any, in all honesty, she should have deferred to her Lord and husband. Really. Right? And uh, right? Hear that clapping? That's all men. And <laughs> so, so anyway, I, I, I'm sitting there going, yeah, baby, that's awesome. Within another two minutes, he comes back and he says, hi, well, I found another seat 
up the front right next to your wife. Do you want to come? I said, yeah. And, and, so, and then he said to me, I was going to give it to this woman, but I don't want that attitude up the front. I don't want some grumpy woman with all these other people. Her attitude stopped her from going higher. And she, there was plans to take her higher, but because she just didn't navigate that little moment with grace and with an excellent spirit, it got her stuck at her level. And that's the same with thousands of people that I know and have met over the, over the years who become critical, cynical. They just get stuck at a level and they can't go further because they met a little trial and God was testing their heart and looking at what was going on inside of them with a little pressure here or a little opportunity there, and they just didn't respond in the right way. And so they went around the mountain again. And what we need to do is actually distinguish ourselves before God by owning the greatest of attitudes. Have a great attitude, and you're going to find yourself being, being raised up. What happened with Daniel is we all know he, he got thrown to the lions. But the reason he got thrown to the lions is because they could, when the king said, I'm going to set him over the entire realm, his colleagues said, this foreigner is not going to become our ruler, for goodness sake. Let's find something against him. So they hired a private detective. He couldn't find anything. Nothing was wrong with this guy. So they said, we'll have to invent something to entrap him. So they said, I know what. Let's get the king to sign a law that for 30 days, nobody's allowed to ask any God or anything else for anything except the king himself. And he said, yeah, that's how we'll get him because we know that this guy will never stop praying. We know that his commitment to Christ is so solid that he's gonna keep on doing it. They were convinced about that. So they passed the law. They got the king to sign it. And, and, and then suddenly when Daniel saw that, it says when Daniel saw that the law was signed and passed in government. He went home, opened the windows of his room, and cried out to God in, in spite of the fact that suddenly prayer had become illegal. It wasn't going to stop him praying. The punishment for disobeying that law was to be thrown to the den of lions, was death. The punishment for that was death. Now, the question I need to ask myself, and possibly you need to ask yourself, is what does it take to stop you praying? How much does it take? For some people, it's just a ding on their mobile phone. Oh, I better check that text. And, then, and before you know it, your 30 minutes or your hour's gone. You've been on that thing. Not even a, the threat of law. But what, imagine if a law was passed right now in Australia, it's illegal to pray. And if you pr found praying, they'll kill you. That's never going to happen, obviously. But the fact is, that was what it was. There was a law passed, no longer. What, what, how much does it take to stop you from praying? How much does it take to stop you from reading the Bible? What's it going to take to, to stop you from coming to church? A little offense here, a little trouble there, a little difficult. You know, for some people, it's the weather. Oh, it's too wet to go to church. Oh, can't go to Then it's too fine. Oh, it's too sunny. Let's go to the leaves. And then it's just gray, moderate. Oh, I don't really feel that excited about church today. I'll just watch online. Get your butt to church. Amen. What is it? I mean, we're just so apathetic sometimes. It takes nothing to stop us from doing the things we said we're committed to. We need to be like people who'd say, 
if no one else in the whole world is going to follow Jesus Christ, I'm going to. You might say, well, that's a bit ridiculous. It sounds too radical. Well, think of Noah. Nobody else in the whole world was going to be faithful to God, but he said, I will. Abraham, same deal. In Ur of the Chaldees. You might find yourself in a position where nobody else in your world is going to follow Christ, in your family or anywhere else. Don't let that be the reason why it's going to keep you away from prayer, the Bible, church, living for Jesus Christ. Make a commitment that's a little deeper than the one you got now. Say, nothing's going to move me. And you know, for me, the word commitment can sound a little dry sometimes. Because people say, wow, you know, like, like, like it's just, sometimes it's so dreary doing this thing. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I have a prayer life. I get up most mornings, well, pretty well every day around 5 and, and 5.30 some days. But, you know, it's, it's, it's like I want to. It's not like I've got to pray. It's like I get to pray. It's not like I've got to spend time with Jesus. It's like I get, to, I get to talk to the king of the universe. And I like the feeling of being around him. It's, it's, I like him. I like God. I would have no relationship at all with my wife if I never had a meal with her or didn't talk to her, just passed her in the night. If I slept in another bedroom, which I don't, well, there was that time, but anyway. <laughs> it, you know, like, most, you got to talk. You spend time with each other, with friends. And if you don't like doing it, don't marry him. Find someone else. But if you're married, work it out. Amen. <laughs> Great attitudes come from being a person of prayer. The reason Daniel had an excellent attitude was because he spent time with Jesus. And you get a Jesus attitude going on that's strong and will hold fast under pressure and won't collapse into some ugly, cranky attitude, but it'll be shine and bright, shiny and bright on the inside of you. The reason God wants you to have a great attitude is because it's contagious. Bad attitudes are contagious. You can go and sneeze your bad attitude all over a person and then you've infected a whole room. Fear is like that, especially among soldiers. God told the Israelites, look, if you're afraid, go home. I can do more with 300 courageous soldiers than I can with 30,000 who have no heart for the battle. Deuteronomy 20 verse 8, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. So the best way to defeat any of those attitudes is to get a good one. The greatest way, and pretty much, pretty much the only way I know that you'll get a good attitude, is by asking Jesus Christ to come into your life. When that happens, he says in Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. How awesome is that? I don't know if what you were like before you got born again. I was terrible. Oh, I was terrible. Just, just at 15, I was getting drunk and in the pubs and the police would come, I'd climb out the toilet windows and would I go, yeah, that's amazing, yeah, right, you know. That was our attitude. I managed to take, I took out a few girls and one of the girls I took out, she was like the one everybody wanted to take out in town. Gorgeous, like, yeah, man, you score, you know. And so I went to a party with her and I'm in the back seat of the car, and we're driving home, and I got so drunk, 
I fainted like this and then vomited all over her dress. That was the last time I went out with her. Can't understand that. I didn't, you know, don't get it, but she never wanted to talk to me, see me again. And, and then you tell your mates, and you go, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. But you meet Jesus, and that changes. You're not laughing at all the wrong stuff. You're rejoicing about good things. You suddenly, like, you love those Christians that you used to hate. You think, oh, they're all goody good, you know, they're boring, they're dorky people, you know. And then suddenly you're in amongst them all, and you think, these are amazing people. People like Mick Sabat, unbelievable. People like Chris Heikick, unbelievable. Amazing. Rose, what a girl. Madeline, unbelievable. Patrick down the end there, amen. Patrick. How many children you got now? Three. When we first came here, you just had one. Amen. Do you know what's causing it? Thank you, Jesus. We believe in church growth. That's awesome. <laughs> Amen. All right. That's the great thing about meeting Jesus, that you get a new heart. Where are you going to get this great attitude from that will give you an elevation in life? From Christ. Having Him on the inside and you living in Him. The root of your great attitude is faith. That's where the roots of a, of a brilliant attitude are. Faith is positive confidence, positive confidence and courage. That's what faith is in your life. And I got a story here that is a little long, but anyway, I know that you'll be up for it. You'll listen to this. This story is, is to illustrate that, that kind of faith attitude that you got to have in life. The great thing about faith is that you can switch it on. You switch it on with your mouth. You say, I believe. As soon as you start speaking faith, faith comes on the inside of you. I'm fearless. When I was a young pastor, I used to get sweaty palms walking into a room full of people. I had kind of like a little phobia going on about being in crowds. I thought, this is no good. If I'm going to have big crowds around me a lot, I'm going to be sweaty and shy and want to go off into a room where nobody is. You know, so I thought, I've got to get over this. So I said, I'm so confident it's ridiculous. That's what I said to myself. I wasn't, but I just said, thought, I'll, I'll change myself. So I went to work on my soul. I just kept saying it. I said it for about six months. I'm so confident it's ridiculous. And now, I'm so confident it's ridiculous, you know. You can change yourself. Get a hold of yourself and, and say, I'm going to change my attitude. I'm going to change the way I am. You're not shy. You were not born like that. When you came out, you were screaming. Wow. And, and, and now you want to make sure that that scream stays alive on the inside of you. Amen? 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 You want to make sure the scream stays alive, right? Come on, give me some help here tonight. I need to, need to get through the story and, and understand this, this thing about positive confidence. Hebrews 10.35 says, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. People, you got to understand, confidence is where your great reward lies. Not just in being a timid Christian thinking, this is how I'm going to actually do well. Confidence. These words are so strange to some people who think of Christianity. They think, Christians aren't meant to be confident. They're meant to be this humble, withdrawn 
personality bypass sort of a person. They're a non-entity. But that's not how you're meant to be. Christians are meant to be the happiest people on earth. Christians should be the biggest thinking people on earth, for goodness sake. We should be ruling and reigning in life. Okay, this guy, Jerry. He was the kind of guy you love to hate. He was always in a good mood and always had something positive to say. When somebody would ask him how he was doing, he would reply, if I was any better, I would be twins. <laughs> he was a unique restaurant manager and had several waiters who followed him around from restaurant to restaurant. The reason the waiters followed Jerry was because of his attitude. He was a natural motivator. If an employee was having a bad day, Jerry was there telling the employee how to look on the positive side of the situation. Seeing the style made me curious. So one day I went up to Jerry. I said, I don't get it. You can't be a positive, upbeat person all the time. How do you do it? Jerry said, each morning I wake up and say to myself, Jerry, you've got two choices today. You can be in a good mood or a bad one. I choose to be in a good one. Each time something bad happens, I can choose to be a victim or I can choose to learn from it. I choose to learn from it. Every time someone comes to me complaining, I can choose to accept their complaining or I can point out the positive side of life. I choose the positive side of life. Yeah, right. It's not that easy, I protested. Yes, it is, Jerry said. Life is all about choices. When you cut away all the junk, every situation is about a choice. You choose how people will affect your mood. You choose to be in a good or bad mood. You choose how to react to situations. The bottom line, it's your choice how you live life. I reflected on what Jerry said, and after a while, we lost touch, but several years later, I heard that Jerry did something you were never supposed to do in the restaurant business. He left the back door open one morning and was held up by gunpoint by three armed robbers. When he tried to open the safe, his hand was slipped. The robbers panicked and shot him, and uh, he was found quickly and rushed to the local hospital. After 18 hours of, tr of surgery and weeks of intensive care, Jerry was released from the hospital with fragments of the bullets still in his body. I saw Jerry about six months after the accident. When I asked him how he was, he said, if I was any better, I'd be twins. <laughs> Want to see my scars? <laughs> I declined to see his wounds, but did ask him what had gone through his mind as the robbery took place. The first thing that went through my mind was that I should have locked the back door, Jerry said. Then as I lay on the floor, I remembered I had two choices. I could choose to live or I could choose to die. I chose to live. Weren't you scared? Jerry said, the paramedics were great. They kept telling me I was gonna be fine. But when they wheeled the, me into the emergency room, I saw the expressions on the faces of the doctors and nurses. I got really scared. In their eyes, I read, he's a dead man. I knew I needed to take action. What did you do, I asked. Well, there was a big burly nurse shouting questions at me. She asked if I was allergic to anything. Yes, I replied, bullets. <laughs> Over their laughter, I told them, I'm choosing to live. Operate on me as if I'm alive, not dead. Jerry lived, thanks to the skill of the doctors, but also because of his amazing attitude. I learned from him that every day we have the choice to live fully. Attitude, after all, is everything. Amen. That's what you've got to do. So having an excellent attitude begins with having an attitude that's birthed in faith. Faith is the root of every great attitude. Habakkuk says, the just shall live by faith. Paul is so impressed by that statement, he repeats it maybe three times, at least twice in the New Testament. The just will live by faith. The righteous will live not by love, not by hope, by faith. 
Faith is the source of life. And the thing is, you got to switch it on. Faith is willing. That's the first thing faith is. I just want to give you some qualities of, the will, of, of what faith is. I have never found an unwilling person has faith. I've always found the willing person believes. Because when you ask an unwilling person, will you do this? They go, oh, I don't think it can be done. I don't know about that. You know, they want to oppose you and be resistant. And when people are unwilling, they have no faith, but they have no energy. Have you ever asked your children to clean up their bedroom? Have you asked them to, look, tidy up your floor drobe? And, uh, and, and they just, they have no energy at all. They go, and they're dragging their feet, and they grab a pair of underpants, and they go, whoa, yeah, all right. Happy, yeah, yeah, all right. And, and so willing-heartedness is meant to be one of the qualities of a great attitude. And I've found that when, I mean, if I, 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 I used to say to them, hey, shall we go to McDonald's? <laughs> like lightning in the car, on the horn. <laughs> come on, Dad, come on. You got energy. They got, they got willing-heartedness right there. Uh, I, I remember hearing the story of uh, Kenneth Hagin. I don't know if you heard of him. He was considered the father of the faith, word of faith movement. And I remember reading about when the Lord told him, leave being a pastor and become a traveling evangelist. And uh, so he started it. He's driving around. But as, he, as time passed, he was getting poorer and poorer. His expenses were exceeding his income. And uh, he complained to God. He said, hey, Lord, you told me that if I was obedient, I'd eat the good of the land. And the Lord said, I didn't say that. He said, yes, you did. I'll show you in Isaiah 119. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. And the Lord said, that's exactly what I said. Yeah, well, I've been obedient. He said, yeah, but you're not willing. So you're being obedient. You're doing what you're meant to do. Oh, I've got to go to church. Yeah, right. Oh, I've got to tithe. You know, all right. Oh, I've got to pray. All right. Oh, oh. Oh, I gotta read the Bible. There's a short verse. Yeah, like, oh, I gotta go. You got this obedience, but a totally unwilling heart. Faith is willing. It says, I wanna do this. I wanna be there. I wanna give. I'm gonna double tithe just to shame the devil in Jesus' name. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get right into this thing with all my heart. I'm gonna close off all the other apathetic options and give myself to it. If you are willing and obedient, You'll uh, eat the good of the land. Kenneth Hagin said, I got willing in two seconds flat. When I realized that my problem was not being obedient, it was to have a willing attitude about my obedience. And when you've got an unwilling helper, oh, it's a pain, isn't it? You ask him, can you do this? Oh, I don't know if I can do it now. You know, maybe sometime. Well, don't worry. And they go, no, I'll do it. I'll do it, but not now. I'm going to do it, you know, when I got time. I mean, it's one of the most difficult things to work with. If you're like that, would you just stop it, please? Amen. And, and become a person who says, yes, with a smile. And you become a servant-hearted servant of God in heaven. Faith is thankful. It, it, it is grateful for everything. Thank God for this church. Thank God for Hartley and Natalie Taylor. Thank God for the team here. Thank God for Gordon and Julie Lewis who are right there at the beginning of the entire thing that's going on right here. Thank God for their generosity. Thank God for Patrick, amen, and his 17 children. Thank God for Madeline and, and playing and singing tonight with a guitar. 
how amazing that was. A mother of three. Right. Faith is the key to authentic humility. Finally, I've gotten to the subject. That's the end of the introduction. Amen. <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall receive the kingdom of heaven. They'll inherit the kingdom of heaven. So this is the first attitude Jesus talks about. I've got one minute to talk about it. I want to I make one observation. Humility, which says I need God. I need other people. I'm not adequate in myself. I'm not sufficient in myself. A person says, oh, I don't need anybody. That's an idiot. Even, even Arnie Schwarzenegger has figured out that he needs the other expendables to make a decent movie. Even Chuck Norris turned up, and he's always on his own. <laughs> Rocky, Rambo, they were all there. Jason Stratham, the transporter, they all got together. They realized we can't do it alone. Even the Avengers, they need, they get together, amen. A Captain America, you think he can solve anything on his own. But if the superheroes think they can need each other to make it happen, how much more do Christians need it? In Jesus' name, amen. Not that any of those guys are real. You understand that, don't you? I'm just saying to you, there's a new mindset. We need each other. We're better together. We can accomplish more. But, but here, let me, let me tell you this. Proverbs 22.4, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Okay, so this is a weird scripture. You got to admit it. Because most people think humility means you're poor. But nothing could be further from the truth. He says, by humility are riches. So when, when people get nervous about becoming a Christian or even embracing something called humility, it's because their concept of being humble means you got to be poor. But that's not right. The hum, by humility, you'll actually become extraordinarily wealthy in this life because that is part of an excellent attitude. The person who's self-effacing, the person who doesn't always talk about themselves. Any great employer wants that person. The guy who's always talking about himself. The person you're standing at a room and they for half an hour to go on and on and on about their achievements, what they've done. And then they say, that's enough of me talking about me. Now you talk about me. That person is painful. You roll your eyes when you're around that sort of thing. We need people who are humble and you'll find that you'll rise in being blessed in life. That is why at the start of all of these beautiful attitudes, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart. If you want to find out what blessing is, read the Old Testament, New Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26. You see all the blessing. Beautiful houses, big farmlands, awesome wives, awesome husbands, healthy children. The blessing of God makes rich and adds no sorrow with it, the Bible says. I like to think that there is a translation of what goes on in our hearts into our real life. And I have no doubt at all that if you and I reach out for that Christ-like attitude to live inside of us, we're going to find ourselves being blessed in this life in Jesus' name. Let's all stand up. As we come to a close, I want to pray for you that God would enhance every one of our attitudes, every one of our hearts in this place. Father, in Jesus' name, I believe that you will bless every member of our congregation here. Lord Jesus, all over the city, we pray for a revolution in attitude. 
It'll lord that morning radio show that tries to infect everybody with complaining and whining. Lord Jesus, that we would listen to a different frequency. We'd hear the Word of God that brightens our day. It doesn't make us whine. It makes us thankful. It doesn't make us complain. It gives us gratitude. It gives us faith on the inside. I'm believing, Father, that our source of attitude would become the great Holy Spirit, the power of heaven living inside of us, Jesus himself emerging, rising within with the great attitude of the resurrection. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a clap offering, would you, everybody? Love you guys. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Phil. Come on, can we thank Pastor Phil? Doesn't get any better than that for my senior pastor, delivering truth, the Word of God, with great passion and zeal. So good. Hey, can we grab our seats? Still got a few things to get through this beautiful service here tonight. But before we go any further, Pastor Phil's just talked about that it all starts when we, uh, we have Christ in our hearts. That we all need to come to a, a point in life where we say, I need God. We all need to come to that place. The Bible is very clear that to get to heaven, there is no other way than accepting Jesus Christ into our hearts. And without that step, we can never, we can never stand before God in a right.